This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. At Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. everybody, and welcome to the Disney Film Project Podcast. I know you're expecting to hear Ryan Kilpatrick tonight, but I'm not him. I'm the other host, Todd Perlmutter, and I'm here to introduce you to our podcast and welcome you aboard for our journey through tonight's episode. I'd like to introduce you to our co-host for the evening, uh, Rachel Kolb. Uh, she can be found all over the internets and interwebs, as Ryan likes to say, and she does a lot of writing about movies and this and that and television. She loves her Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and whatever else she feels like writing about and, you know, doing her thing. How are you doing tonight, Rachel? I am doing fantastic. I cannot wait to talk about this movie. Excellent, excellent. Good to hear, good to hear. Chipper is nice. Also with us this evening is our fine producer, because she does stuff and makes us, and she does do stuff this time, and makes us sound really, really good. And it's my wife, Cheryl Perlmutter. Hello, Cheryl. Hello. You ready for this? Oh, yeah, you've already given me a ton of editing already. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. That's my job. <laughs> okay. And from time to time, especially when people like Ryan are absent, we like to make sure we have a guest host on the show with us. And tonight's guest host is a longtime friend of the show. You might know him as uh, Big Fat Panda. You, he can be found at BigFatPanda.com. Uh, I like to call him John, but you would know him as John Panda, perhaps, if you follow him on Facebook um, or any other places. I, your Disney World's on Twitter, right, John? Yes. Yes, I'm Big Fat Panda Show on Twitter. Yes, so welcome, John. Welcome aboard. Thank you welcome. very much. I am slightly embarrassed. I'm just realizing that DFP is not Disney Fashion Police. I thought we were going to talk about what clothes are okay to wear inside out, but I'm, I'm okay now. That's all right. I wear everything inside out, so it's all right. <laughs> so, and, and by the way, folks, in case you hadn't guessed, tonight's episode is about the recent Disney Pixar release, their 15th full-length Pixar film, Inside Out. Uh, it is an emotional roller coaster ride, literally, at some points. Get it? See what I did there? Ha <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, folks, from time to time, we're, renew we're reviewing a brand new movie like Inside Out, like we are tonight. And I want to let you know that we are going to be talking about the movie and going over the plot and possibly ruining it. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, pause here, come back later. We'll be here. We're not going anywhere. I promise the episode will be there for you if you, forget, if you delete it off your phone and need to re-download it or anything. Promises, promises. All right? And with that said, I'm also going to say that we're going to start with the lava short that appears before the film just to get that out of the way. Um, this is a cute little short. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but I can't get the song out of my head. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the song for this is so 
adorable. Well, everything about this short is just adorable and kind of plays to a lot of things that I enjoy in short films. And I think that um, Pixar hasn't really done in a short film before because it's actually a very simple story. Yeah, it's a very well, they, simple love story. Yeah, I, it reminds me a lot of uh, that Blue Umbrella thing that was done a few years ago by Disney, right? That I can't remember what movie it came out before, but I couldn't think that they'd make me feel emotionally attached to an umbrella, and I certainly wasn't sure I was going to be emotionally attached to a volcano. Yep. <laughs> but I don't think I love this one as much as Feast, but I did like it, and again, I saw this twice, and I'll say I liked it a lot more the second time than the first time. Well, if you're a pet lover, you're clearly going to like Feast more. Like, if you have animals in your home, Pet Feast is for you. Okay, but still and yet, there's something just really special about this short. You know, it, it's so hard to explain. It, it's just two volcanoes meet in an ocean over the course of millions of years. You know, they pass each other through the lava flows, so to speak, and then eventually they become one and become a couple and live happily ever after. That's the general plot. Yeah, I will attest that the song does stick in your head and you can pretty much recite it right after the, the movie. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's always back there. It's, it's like any television jingle that you heard when you were a kid. Uh, it's all the way just back in your head. People, there were commercials on TV that you couldn't use to fast forward over, and we'd hear these things and they'd get stuck, especially serial commercials. Um, I, I took it a step further, though. I, I had questions. Like, after they popped up, I wanted to know, how did they turn around? What do you mean, how did they turn around? Like, like she was facing the other way, and then, they, and then, then they're embracing and they're facing each other, and I just didn't see what happened. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with John. There were oh, definitely, so glad somebody uh, there were definitely unanswered questions there. Well, yes. she... She was facing away from him, and he was behind her, right? But then he sunk to the bottom, and then when he shot back up, just the way he landed, he landed right next to her. He was still facing the same way as her. Remember, because he, he, he could see her, she couldn't see him. Correct. Right? So all he had to do was float a little as he came back up to the surface, and he would crash into her, and they became – they were kind of merged, right? Like it was kind of like his arm was around her at the end. Yeah, yeah. It, it just seems like they only moved vertically and then all of a sudden they're in a different position. I don't I'm, I'm taking it way too far for what it was. I totally <laughs> understand that. It's singing volcanoes, John. <laughs> <laughs> the logic of singing volcanoes. This must be explained. <laughs> I, was looking, I was looking for more realism. No, I'm kidding. I guess we should mention we see, um, I don't know if it's actually Crush or Crush's relative, but we see him in this little feature. Well, what we what we see is uh, Pixar has a lot of reuse of models throughout their films. They bring they bring them back. Like if they need a sea turtle, since they've already designed sea turtles, they'll just reuse the sea turtle model. And it's very it's very possible that they did that or picked the one that was specifically you know stretched and pulled to be crushed. It's hard to tell because it's very quick, but it it is clearly that same model that you see in Finding Nemo. That seems yeah. efficient. Yeah, well, they do it all the time. I mean, they're, they're, if John Lasseter talks about why he feels like you don't have to recreate everything, you can reuse pieces, especially since like in this in Inside Out, which we're about to talk about, when they're walking through um, San Francisco, all the cars are the cars from the Cars movies without the eyes and mouths on them. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so, it, it, like, they reuse stuff all the time. See that, folks? I already gave a fact, and we haven't even started talking about the movie yet. Awesome. <laughs> but I thought you were going to say Big Hero 6 because of their 
San Francisco kind of a tie-in. I almost said San Francisco, but I in this movie, in Inside Out, it is actually San Francisco. So I. <laughs> um, so uh, everybody's on a general consensus about lava. That's great. So as I said earlier, this is uh, Pixar's fifteenth full-length movie. I know it sounds weird. They've been around since nineteen ninety-five. Was Toy Story right? Did I get that right off the top of my head? Oh, uh, you're asking me for facts that I think only you awesome. know. 1995 Toy Story. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so yes. see, 1995, but it's their 50th. It's, they've been around a while, but really it's only 20 years, right? That's 20 years? Yeah, 20 years. Yes. 15 movies in 20 years, as we know. that. So they haven't had one every year, but they've had one almost every year. And that's a, that's a big thing. One of the things about this movie is it's Pixar's first film out of those 15 to not debut at number one. Okay. Ooh. It, it lost the weekend to Jurassic World, okay? It did, though, after two weeks in the theater. So on its third weekend, it did reach number one and beating out yep. Jurassic World, okay? Yep. It is the largest opening for an original idea movie, okay? Because Jurassic World is not considered an original idea since it's number four in a series. Yeah. Okay? So it... it it did build uh, the original work. The last one on top was Avatar. So basically, Avatar has now been beat all over the place for the most part. I wanted to mention that this is the second of the Disney summer movies in of our podcast that uh, Jurassic World has come up. <laughs> the first being Tomorrowland. Um, and as far as it beating out Inside Out at the box office, I'm just happy that the third week that audiences got it right. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm waiting until uh, Blu-ray or DVD well, or something. As I want to point out, they really didn't have much choice, right? I mean, right now is a good time for them because the only other kids movie that's currently out is Max about this wonder about this dog, which is, sounds like a lovely movie. Not getting it, any bad vibes anywhere, um, but and then the next movie is Minions, which. Yeah. So so we know the minions are probably going to take most of the kids away from this movie. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, but at least they spaced out well enough so that that they got the numbers that they needed. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I mean, it's really tough. First of all, Disney's usually first to pick weekends to release on, and they never budge. When they set a weekend for something, unless the movie project itself gets delayed, they don't change the weekend. And so Jurassic World was intentionally targeted on top of Inside Out, and there was nothing they can do because they're not going to move the movie. They're not going to show fear. So I think we can safely say this is a, this still, still a big box office success for Disney, unlike Tomorrowland. Oh, oh definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The movie is. is, as of as of possibly today, it was just shy of uh, $375 million last night. Um, it had a $175 million budget, so that is definitely a win. There's wow. no doubt about that. Okay. And as it we is, know, it, Tomorrowland is in the John Carter and um, Lone Ranger series of movies. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And also, Inside Out is much better, like, critically acclaimed than yeah. Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland was very divisive. In fact, at the Cannes Film Festival, when it debuted, it had an unprecedented 10 minute standing ovation at the end of the credits. Wow. wow. Okay, it doesn't happen at the Cannes Film Festival. People get excited and clap, and then they walk out and go to the next movie. And people boo. <laughs> and people boo. And for, so for people to clap for 10 minutes straight, like 
the press apparently had no idea what was going on because they'd never seen it happen at the Cannes Film Festival before. So, Listen, when you look at the big picture of what happens with animation, look at, I know it's a non-Disney movie, but Home. The coming attractions are, wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. And this is a smart, well done, it goes above and beyond, I think, what we expect animation to achieve. I also have to say Home is already already on um, iTunes for rental. Yes. To tell oh. you about how <laughs> bad it probably did. It. In fact, Google gave it away for free. So, oh, oh, <laughs> it's just such a different caliber of, of feature. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, fans who really like the movie. Before we get into it, I just want to say that it was just announced yesterday, or the day before, I forget which, uh, that the there will be a short on the Blu-ray release of Inside Out that will be a follow-up set in the in the world of Inside Out. Now, why we're talking about this, I wish, this is what I want them to do. So if you're listening to this and you still have time, I don't think the DVD's <laughs> out yet. Cheryl has put the gauntlet down. You should make a, a little cartoon about the adventures of Riley and Bing Bong like you did with the, with in the Incredibles, Mr. Incredible and Frozen and the Rabbit. That's saying. Okay. my I don't think my heart can take that. <laughs> I, I no no. After seeing this movie, I don't think I can emotionally handle that, Cheryl. I, but it would, I, it would I, be awesome. I, I agree. really think it'd be. I'm gonna say it really would be awesome to see because The Incredibles did it, and it was really funny. And so maybe they could do it where it's. I know where it's funny. Somehow. They can make it emotionally happy, Rachel. So we don't have to deal with that again. Yes, <laughs> we like Rachel happy, not all cry. <laughs> Um, I can I bring something up that really bothers me about this movie. I, so this movie has a soundtrack done by Michael Giacchino, and honestly, I can't remember anything from the movie except the Triple Den Gun commercial. Oh, I remember the the opening, the the nice simple tune opening. The it set the mood. I I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I do. If I hear it, I recall it. Well, I was going to say the reason why it might be so catchy is also because Nick Patera sings the uh, triple mink gum. Oh, I know. It's my ringtone on my phone. <laughs> By the way, so there you go. If you um, get a chance, Todd, go to iTunes and just listen to the samples from the soundtrack, and I think it'll come back to you and you'll realize how effective the soundtrack really was, I think. Oh, really? I See, I don't know. Like, I, I tried to remember stuff from it, um, and I just... You know, it's weird. Like sometimes, like I, I want to remember it, but I said this about Aven- Avengers Two: Age of Ultron. Is I also felt it didn't have a very memorable soundtrack to me. Yeah. You know, whereas I think of like like Brave, and I know a lot of people don't like Brave as a movie, but Brave has a really good soundtrack for a Pixar movie. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. Okay, like people who run some of those songs are great running songs. For example. Yeah. So. Well, a- another example of a Pixar movie. Uh, up, of course, another Pete Doctor movie. Yep, has a very memorable theme. Just yes, you cannot yes. get that theme out of your head. Ab- absolutely true. I completely and agree. Since we're talking about Pete Doctor, we're gonna um, mention the um, throwback to the to Epcot that this movie has. Yeah, the throwback to Epcot. Please, please describe. Um, apparently, Pete Doctor worked on Cranium Command. He did. He, yep. he did. But I do want to point out that he makes this very strong point in all his interviews that Cranium Command takes place in the brain 
and Inside Out takes place in the mind. And yeah. that's a that's an important distinction to him. So we you have to honor his. Explain that to me, that distinction. Okay, so the think about what Cranium Command was, right? They had a command center. So yes, the command center is in both movies, right? Even the original poster looked a lot like the sign, the old sign for Cranium Command. If you put them side by side, thank you, Tammy, by the way, if you're listening, because I got that from your blog. I wouldn't have known to put them side by side like that otherwise. But um, what happens? In, in Cranium Command, is they're actually in control of the body from the head, right? Oh, okay. Right? So it's not, it's not about what they're thinking. It's about what's co- how they control the body and the bodily, how the body functions, right? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. So the, and the brain is separate from the mind, right? The, the cognitive is separate from the physical. That's how psychology works, right? Gotcha. So this is a movie about psychology Inside Out is, whereas Korean Command is about how the brain functions. Yeah, Two different which things. Of, of course, they like just about any piece that you read about this will mention the fact that they consulted psychologists, specifically child psychologists, yes, to in, uh, find out how that works. <laughs> I have information on that. Um, so they now the guys that they specifically um, did drove the plot of the movie. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Have you, at any point now since you've seen the movie, had a feeling or an emotion and you thought of these characters, what are they doing in your brain as like a little goof? Am I the only one that's been this stupid? Yes, I I have. Um, That also has to do with the fact that my parents recently visited. They live overseas and I see them about once a year. So (laughs) obviously very strong emotions there. So you actually pictured sadness in your head taking control of your because <laughs> I've done that I'm like I can't believe am I ever going to get this out and how many people in the, in the world are now doing that because of this film well I'm playing the game on my iPad so I'm constantly still thinking about what this will be because I have, I'm playing the bubble game so yep. I'm totally so addicted to I love when Joy says that's something to, to be joyful about and to dance about <laughs> Ah, interesting. So, um, to go back to the emotions for a second, because I, I looked up my note, found my notes about the uh, psychologist that Rachel was mentioning. There were two psychologists that they worked off of for this movie. Okay, the first one is one of the most famous psychologists in the whole world, Paul Ekman. Yep. Okay, he came up. He's the idea of the five core emotions comes from his concept of six core emotions. Okay. The six core emotions that he defined years and years ago, long before the movie came out, are anger, fear, sadness, disgust, joy. And the sixth one, which is not in the movie, is surprise. The reason why surprise isn't in the movie is when Doctor was trying to create all the characters, he felt that fear and surprise were just too similar to have them be separate. So the fear that you see in the movie is the combination of fear and surprise from Ekman's work. Okay. And uh, the other psychologist is Dasher Keltner. Oh, I'm not sure if I pronounced his first name right. I apologize. Uh, he is a professor at UC Berkeley, and he specializes in sadness being the emotion that strengthens relationships, which is, as you can see, both those things are the core basis of the movie. Right? Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> And now I, we started to discuss the movie, but I think that we should probably just go over uh, the the basics of the movie a little, if that's all right. Can we go really quick and mention our Star Wars connection? We have a Star Wars connection. Well, you can go yep. ahead. He's he's also our Pixar connection. So go ahead, and mention. 
I was going to mention Frank Oz. Oh, you can mention Frank Oz. He is, he is in the movie. Um, Frank Oz in this movie is playing one of the two door guards along with David Goyles. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they are acting out uh, Waiting for Godot. <laughs> in front, there's this very funny scene in Waiting for Godot, which is a movie about two guys who are just literally standing around the whole movie waiting for this imaginary character called Godot to show up. Yeah. And they have this scene in the, in the actual play. It's uh, a Beckett play, right? Beckett yep. wrote the play. And uh, where they have a point where one of them knocks their hat on the floor and they have this whole argument about the hat. And that's what they're doing in front of the door is acting that up from the play for people who are not familiar. Uh, <laughs> and the other Star Wars connection Cheryl is? John Ratzenberger? Yes. One. He's one of the background guys from New Hope, right? Yes. He plays Commander, I think it's Dern, in A, a New Hope in Echo Station on Hoth. Right? Hope I got that all right. Somebody will yell at me if not. Most likely DD&D. In Inside Out, uh, John Ratzenberger leads, leads off as being Fritz at the end where he's uh, the guy installing the con- new console at the very end of the movie. Just in case people are wondering where he appears in the movie. So now we've started talking about the movie, as I said. I figured we should just probably kind of explain what the movie is actually about before we walk through the plot of the movie. Everyone okay with that? All right. Yeah. Okay. So this is a movie about growing up. That is the fundamental intent of the movie. Uh, Pete Doctor got the basic idea from watching his own daughter Ellie grow up. Now Ellie is the basis for the character in Up, and she's also the basis for Riley in this movie. Okay. And uh, basically, it's not just about growing up; it's about loss. Okay. It's about how sadness can overtake the good memories that we have, right? All this, you see this all in the movie, uh, especially when we experience massive change. Uh, For example, my hockey team is gone. Now hockey makes me sad. That's basically something that you see occur in the movie. That's summing it up. Um, This is why sadness is compelled to change all the joy core memories, right? Because there's that concept of, of the loss and the growing up and sadness overtaking. So that's what's going on, Okay. Now, part of the problem in the movie is, is this is the conflict, okay? Because it, it's hard to spot what the conflict actually is in this movie. Out, inside the head, outside the head, it's that Riley moved. But inside the head, the, it's hard, okay, with the, with the emotions. The, the core conflict that the emotions have is that Joy is holding to, on too long and too tightly to Riley's childhood. Yep. Okay, that is, that is the fundamental conflict, okay? This is why – and. This is why Bing Bong is being forgotten because of the growing up, okay? And it's why the gingerbread house and the princess castle are destroyed, okay? And to make way for the imaginary boyfriend machine, I don't know what else you called that thing. <laughs> Literally one of my favorite moments in the movie was that imaginary boyfriend machine. <laughs> Before would... we go too far, I'd like to lodge my complaint right here. Lodge it. Give it to us. Give it. Lodge. Okay, so if you're watching previews, and you're just watching previews. You're not. You're not. You walk into this movie. You're not thinking you're gonna get the Save the Farm movie, the Save the Girl, Save the Farm, whatever. You think you're gonna get a, a like a happy-go-lucky movie about emotions? Oh, I didn't think so at all. I see. This is what I fully thought. And I and I. That's why I was so disappointed because. All I saw was previous was these emotions, and I was like ready to go right there, 
And then we were like saving the farm. And, then, I, and, and that's what got me were, upset. <laughs> I think you were putting your own expectations into what you saw and you were expecting a much more lighthearted movie. I, from the commercials, it, 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 it really, if you go look at the like subway commercials, the, the state light farm commercials, any of the, the movie commercials without, you see none of the, none of the, none of the stuff. Well, you see the conflict would, between her and her parents in the but commercials, you, so. you yeah. don't, But you don't really see the, the movie. I'm not saying I, it. You don't see it until but you I, go see I, the movie. I think that's a good thing anyway. Yeah, I, know, I know, but I'm not saying it. As someone who went in, I thought this was going to be maybe a happy-go-lucky movie. And, you know, maybe a little bit sad, yes. But, you know... I don't know how I could put it on. It's, it's, it's heavy. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's heavy. It's not yeah, and, what you come in. It's not what you come in looking if you only looked at the commercials. I I would actually disagree with that. The trailer that I got the best notion for what the movie was going to be is the trailer with more uh more than a feeling. The one with that over top of it, especially when I saw the image of Riley seen on the floor and her folks around her just with their arms around her. I was like, oh, it's going to be that type of movie. I don't think it, that was in the commercials at all, though. There yeah. was, there, oh, there it was is. a yeah. trailer them embracing the family, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Cheryl. Okay. Yeah, they also, also there's, um, there was a series of intros for each of the five emotions that okay. actually, actually give a little bit more experience about each of the movie as well, and those appeared on TV as well, so. I'm, I'm just talking general Day 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 watching TV and I'm saying I didn't get it. All right. That's why that's why I was upset going into it and that's why I pre- was pretty much upset going out of it. You don't you don't have to like the movie. It's okay. Nobody ever be mad at you for it. It's actually while it's critically acclaimed, it is it is getting mixed things. Um, most of what I I understand from generally people I talk to is that they like the movie a lot. Uh, they do not feel it's they feel it's like in the middle of all the Pixar movies. And that's not bad. I mean, we're talking Pixar movies, right? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, there's there's still so many better Pixar movies than this, even though this is a great movie. And as we that's, discussed, there's also people people other than me consider there are much worse worse movies than this, aka Cars One and Two, <laughs> which I right. consider the best of the movies. So. What, what amazes me with Inside Out is. An adult can watch it and see what it is, and a child can watch it and still enjoy it and come away with a completely different perception of what went on. Oh, absolutely. It just amazes me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I no, think it, it is incredibly smart, I, and I've never seen nostalgia portrayed in this way on screen before, the notion of the sad part of nostalgia. Um, I, I just thought that was so brilliant, the notion that sadness touches these happy memories and that they turn they turn blue and they turn sad. Yep. I thought that, that was such a beautiful way of showing what it is like to grow up. Yeah, it, it's not just that, but there's also that moment where um, sadness sits down with Bing Bong. We'll talk about yes. Bing Bong in a second, right? Yep. And she has nothing to offer him but to sit down and cry with him, right? Yeah. In in Talmudic learning, now I'm Jewish, so I'm going to go a little Talmudic learning for a second. There is a story that rabbis tell about the child with the toy, okay? And the toy is broken. The child is sitting on the ground. And the other child walks up to him, 
up to them and they have nothing else to offer because neither child can fix the broken toy, right? So the other child sits down and cries with the one that had the broken toy because he has nothing else to offer. And I, I have to think that that was the basis for that scene was that, was that moment in Talmudic learning is sometimes it's okay to cry. Sometimes it's okay if that's all you have to give, right? Yeah. Mm. The reason why I love that scene so much is it shows that sadness is more than just what you think sadness is. Sadness is also empathy, which the biggest problem with Joy is that she is kind of callous to the feelings of other people or like the other entities within the mind. Absolutely. Oh, right. definitely. She only cares about Joy and seeing Riley happy. I agree. Yeah, which, I mean, she has the best of intentions in it, but in the process, she's also disregarding and, like, make, making it that it's a bad thing for her to feel these other things. Right. And here's, a, here's an interesting thing, right? So we, until the very end credits, we are only given a peeks into Riley's parents' minds, right, who are incidentally just mom and dad in the movie. They get no names, in yeah. case anybody missed that. They are never anything but mom and dad, which is very good because the movie is from that kid point of view, right? Because the emotions are Riley in a sense. And so to them, that's mom and dad also. So um, when you look in their minds, right? Joy is not in charge in either of those Mm -hmm. minds, right? Anger is in charge of dad and sadness is in charge of mom. So it's very interesting that, you know, Joy is, is in charge of Riley and they refer to her as their happy little girl, you know, and all that stuff throughout the movie. It's, it's interesting. And it, it, it shows that, okay, this is just one brain, not all the brains, right? All yeah. the minds. Sorry, I shouldn't say brain. I said that and, early on. And uh, as far as the one that's in control for the mother and the father, it really um, like influences their reaction to her that the mother, her reaction is empathy and seeing, Hey, there is something wrong with, my, my daughter, clearly something is wrong right now. Whereas the father's response is ultimately one out of anger and frustration. Right. Well, even that, a lot of the, a few of the emotions also are shown to have dual sides, right? Um, obviously, we kind of sort of get the joy and sadness are two sides of the same coin, right? That's part of what the movie is trying to show us. But the other thing is anger has a soft side that you see a few times in the movie. And that's why dad goes in to console her as well. Right, right, right. You know, but he doesn't really know how to do it. And that's just a play on the fact that men are generally considered less emotional than women are. I, that's kind of how I interpreted that. Yeah, me too. So now let's talk about the really surprise element of the movie. Bing bong. Bing bong. Fantastic character, isn't it? So... I don't like him necessarily as much as everyone else. I particularly like sadness a lot. Oh, <gasps> yeah. Okay. I, like to me, she's the, fa- she's my favorite character in the whole movie, not Bing Bong, despite that Bing Bong was great primarily because he was the biggest surprise that I think a movie company has pulled over on an audience in a while. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And we'll get to, we'll get to sadness definitely because I want to, I want to talk about Phyllis Smith's performance in it because she is, just wonderful. Oh yeah. Um, but I did really enjoy Bing Bong. And when they first introduced him, I didn't think I was going to like him. <laughs> I'll be honest. I was, I was a little bit like, uh, I don't know. Like, is, <laughs> is this going to be an obnoxious character? Well, he was, but that was the beauty of it. Like he was, mm-hmm. 
he was not obnoxious to the point of annoying. He was obnoxious because, well, that's what he was. He was really just the definition of her childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Right? In fact, uh, Pete Doctor in an interview says he is, in Doctor's mind, the spirit of childhood. Okay? And so the interesting thing is the fact that he's holding on, okay, so this was a dual interview, by the way, between Pete Doctor and Jonas Rivera that I read. So there, I got comments from both of them in there. So Rivera said that what happened is, is the reason why Bing Bong's still around, even though he's been forgotten, because notice he's not in the memory dump yet, right? Yep. He's, he's, he's up in long-term memory. And the reason why he's there is because he, being the spirit of childhood, has a natural resistance to growing up. Okay? So thus, yep. later on in the movie, okay... What happens to him demarks Riley's coming of age. Okay. Okay. That's kind of what they, they're getting at the point of everything, his, his existence in the movie is, which I thought that was really – like when you look at it like that, you, you don't realize – you think he's just being silly, but really he's there to serve a heavy metaphor. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, when I saw the movie, when I saw it – and I've only seen it one time – but yeah. when they first introduced the character, I thought for a second that this was going to be the villain. Like, I thought it was going to be one of those ones like in Monsters, Inc., where they introduce this character that seems kindly and good, but then it just turns at the last second. Especially that you first, when you first meet him, that he's gathering up all these memories. So in the, in, in the interview, they said that that was intentional. Okay. You're supposed to think he's the villain so that when they decide that he's not, it's even more meaningful. So the interesting thing is if you look at uh, Bing Bong between the flashbacks where he's running around with Riley and when they meet him in long-term memory, he's actually in better shape in her memories. And then he has that down-on-his-luck hobo look in long-term memory. And that's intentional because the idea is that when he was – her imaginary friend, he was the star, right? So he was the guy on stage, and then when when everything else comes along, he becomes that vaudeville actor who lost to yep. the movies and television, right? And becomes you know, and supposed to be living a hobo life. So that's that's actually an intentional design, which I which is kind of fun. <laughs> I didn't catch that at all. That's great though. Yeah, no, it I I didn't either. Some of this stuff I had I did have to read. Like it's really hard, even after watching the movie twice. It's hard. Um, as, as I mentioned in the movie, he's part cat, part elephant, and part dolphin. And his body is made of cotton candy. Cotton candy. And, and John, what's his favorite feature? What's your favorite feature of him that we haven't when mentioned? When he cries with the caramel? Yeah. He cries candy. <laughs> he cries candy. <laughs> you you got to love that. I, I, don't, I don't know how they came up with that idea, but it was literally one of the most genius things in the whole movie, I thought, was the crying yes. candy. And you know what, Rachel? Remember when you said you thought he might have been the villain? I wonder if there was a Lotso connection there. Yeah, I, and I was also thinking about it with uh, Pete Doctor, that not only did they do that in Monsters, Inc., but also in Up, to a certain extent, with, um, with the adventurer, the one that he uh, saw when he was a kid. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. In the old films, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that's why I was expecting it because it's, again, a Pete Doctor movie. Right. Well, like, like we said, I mean, a lot of the elements that inspired Up also inspired this movie, so especially his daughters. 
What are the interesting things about the emotions before we start going through the emotions, which I figure is going to come very soon, okay, is that each one is designed to look like a particular shape to go along with what they are, okay? So Joy is a star, right? That's why she's – because if you look at her arms and legs are are long and pointed, right? So those those are the pieces of the star and her head is the top of the star. Sadness is obviously a teardrop. You can't miss that one. Yep. Okay. Fear is intended to be a raw nerve. Ooh, I did yeah. not know that. Right. Anger is a fiery brick. Yep. Okay. And disgust is? Broccoli. Broccoli. Exactly. <laughs> Which is why it's funny that she says all the stuff about broccoli because she's supposed to look like broccoli. So I kind of, I kind of enjoyed that. Now – you may have heard that they, they and seen that they're all designed to be this particle effect where they're just all a collection of little light particles yep. of their yes. color. <laughs> what happened was that they were originally only going to do that for joy. But it ended up costing a lot of money, so they were going to pull it from the movie. And then they showed something to John Lasseter, and John Lasseter said, that's a great effect. Guess what you're going to do for all the other characters also? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> so I thought that was very funny. So that's how they all ended up being like that. And so before we get too much further, let's start going through the plot, okay? Uh, the movie is about a girl named Riley, and her and her family live in Minnesota, okay? And she likes hockey. But when she's growing up, uh, she basically ends up with five manifestations of emotions that appear in her head, the first of which is joy, right? Then sadness, fear, and then I forget which comes next, whether it's disgust or anger, but they all come, eventually come to life. It's disgust, disgust and, and then anger. anger. Yep. Okay. Because she was being fed the fed the vegetable, and then the anger, anger was like, I'm not having that vegetable. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're right, the baby thing. I remember yep. that, right? And, and the movie, by the way, folks, starts right from the moment that she's born, and, it's be, and it comes with this narration of joy. And joy is kind of sort of the central driving force for the movie, even though sadness, I think, like I said, plays a bigger role. Yeah. Okay, let me just say, and I'll yep. let, you know, I know Rachel really likes the Phyllis Adams lady, and I do too. But Amy Poehler, I had to like really give her my utmost respect with how she led this movie. If well, she, she even was perfect for it. But, yeah, but-, but more than I thought, like we know her from SNL and we know her from comedy. She wasn't over the top. She wasn't. She was perfect. And I think I just forgot that it was her. And if a character that I know well makes me forget who she is, that's great. I also think part of the Part of the part of the benefit benefit is that they separate the characters up, that they're all not in the room at the same time. Right, and right. So it's joy and sadness in in Bing Bong, and then it's the three the three fear, ang- anger, and disgust. So and we and we uh, we go through each of them when we go through them. But I kind of feel like that separating them up like that is a way of um, each getting their own time. It, it's easier. Yeah. I, I do think it really helped drive that aspect of the movie actually a lot, Cheryl. I, I completely agree there. Now, here's a funny story about Amy Poehler getting the role. So Bill Hader was actually the first of the emotion actors brought on board. Okay, He was brought on very early in the project. In fact, he read for all the emotions – 
because they weren't sure which ones were going to be male-ish and which one were going to be female-ish yet, so he read for all of them. And they loved his fear the best, which is why he ended up with fear as the role. Now, he is a good friend of Amy Poehler's, and nobody at Pixar had any means of contacting Amy Poehler, but they wrote the role of joy for her after he was, got the role of fear. So they asked him if he could call her and offer her the role. Awesome. Yeah, and I know that Joy was the character that they had the most trouble with as far as making her likable because every iteration, that every screening that they would do of it, the early work on it, people would say, I love the concept, I hate Joy. <laughs> wow. Is that amazing? Yeah. You know what? Because she comes across as, you know, holier than thou, better than everyone else. But yeah. did you also love her in the film? Because I loved her. I absolutely love her. And I love Amy Poehler. I am a huge fan of Parks and Recreation. And seeing her character on Parks and Rec, I knew exactly why they casted her for Joy. Because there is there is a whole lot of Leslie Nope in Amy Poehler's performance of Joy. Yeah, well, that's basically her sense of humor. So that's... That's why I think it, it works that way. Yeah. I think the next one to mention is probably Lewis Black as Anger. Perfect. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, okay, so for people who are not actually familiar with Lewis Black, who Lewis Black is, he is literally famous for being America's angriest comic. Oh, yes. No, no joke. That's, that's his basic title in life. So that he played Anger is absolutely hysterical. I, I don't know any other way to put it. He's yeah. like a current Sam Kinison, a little toned down. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's really nothing else to say there. I mean, he's of the five emotions, uh, anger and disgust have the least lines in the movie. Yeah. But Pete Doctor did say that anger was his favorite as far as the look of him. <laughs> yeah. There's something about him that's really funny because he, he's kind of, first of all, he's, he's a male in the female mind, right? I think that if you... Though fear is there, fear has kind of sort of got that metrosexual vibe going on, right? Yes. So I, I really feel like it's he, that anger is the interesting one in the crowd as a result of that because he's a standout. He kind right? of looks like an angry basketball coach. He yes. does. <laughs> like he's like minus the cigar on the sidelines, right? That's, that's, yep. And I love how he's always in the background reading the newspapers and they're always relevant to whatever's going on in, in – uh, Riley's head. So, yeah, are you going to talk about your favorite product at this point, Todd? That you'd like to buy? What favorite product? The flashlight. Oh yeah, no. So they they have some really cool uh, toys co- that are out, and one of them is that they have an anger shaped flashlight <gasps> that, where so hit, where, cool. that makes an orange light at the top of his head. I am not making this up. It is. Wait, wait. I just bought something, and it's uh, you hit the tie, and the top of his head lights up orange, and he says something. But it's not a flashlight that you could hold in. Is that the same it, thing you're talking about? The one I saw was actually like a flashlight. You, you didn't click it on, but if you held it, it was on, and you could use that as a flashlight. And did he did talk? say – it did talk, I guess. Yeah, I think it did talk. It, it's like, 95 cents because that's what I got. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I don't. It was $8 and something, right? Yep. Maybe, okay. yeah. Yeah. It's a great toy, so glad you awesome. have it. Good pick. Good pick, good pick. Um, so uh, we should probably get back to the plot, so I'm going to do that, just so we uh, you know, can move this little thing along. So the emotions come to life in her head, right? And the thing that's going on is we learn that the live in her head, in the inside of her, and it's, but it's her mind. It's, as we said earlier, it's not her brain, 
or actually her physical head, it's her conceptual head, okay? And inside the head is headquarters, okay? Which is, which is kind of the center for her conscious mind, because later in the movie we'll see the subconscious mind. So this is, this is where her emotions live and her memories are created and formed and, you know, eventually nightly shipped off the long-term memory, which is a great idea. Um, and there's a control console. And we get this early on view of the fact that the control console grows as Riley grows. Okay. Right. So we're, we learn that, that that's the definition of what comprises who Riley is, okay? Well, apart from core memories, there's the islands. Right. So, right, I didn't get that. So there are, there are uh, core memories. I, then there are five core memories at that point in time in Riley's life, and they're all based on joy because they're joyous colors. So memories, each are, are a glowing ball based on the emotion, okay? For, you know, again, for people who might be listening and not having seen the movie. Um, and there are, like I said, five core memories, and each one drives an island in her head, Right. And if I remember, there's Family Island, there's Friendship Island, there's Hockey Island or Hockey Sports Island. Um, there's Goofball remember. Island. Goofball Ooh, Island. Well, the best one. And I can't remember what the fifth one is. I'm drawing a blank right family? now. Family? I said family. Family, hockey. Um, friends. Friends. Goofball. Goofball and I can't remember what the other one was. There was only five. That's four, That's though. That's four. Okay. Yeah, so I only named four, but well, it does, it's okay. But there's five. There's one for each of the core memories. That's that's the is important. It Imagination Land or no? No, Imagination Land is is a side thing, which which we'll get to. Okay. Um, so what happens is when Riley turns 11 years old, right? She has this great childhood. She grows up in Minnesota. She plays hockey. She's a great kid. Her family life is great, and her dad gets a new job, and they have to relocate to San Francisco. Okay, he's. Um, involved in a startup company named Brang. You can tell this because it's written on his T-shirts all throughout the movie. Um, and what happens is Joy becomes concerned, okay, because what happens is that when they get there, Riley starts to have problems with her world because her world is not, in her mind, as perfect and great and wonderful as it was in Minnesota. So sadness touches through a series of events where they start showing um, – the memories to Riley to as part of her, you know, remembering things basically, I guess is what that's supposed to be. I didn't really think about that until right now, but that's what she's supposed to be is recalling memories. Yep. And sadness touches one and it was a happy memory because it was yellow and when she touches it, it becomes blue, which is something that has apparently never happened before. Okay. So yeah, what happens is is that Joy freaks out. Okay. And she manages to take it away before completely before it turns blue, so it goes back to yellow. And she tries to keep um, sadness off on her own, right? She draws the little sadness bubble and <laughs> says, "Stay inside the, the bubble of sadness." And puts her in charge of reading manuals, uh, right? And tells comes, her to read the manuals, which, which becomes comes, useful later. I, do I have agree. To say that it, it it does become useful later. There is there is no question there. Okay, but what happens is is then Riley goes to her first day of school. And somehow sadness decides to leave the sadness bubble. We really don't know what happened. She probably got bored with the reading. Okay. And she touches the memory that's forming and it becomes a sad memory. And it doesn't just become a sad memory. It becomes a sad core memory. Okay. But before it can get installed into the series of core memories. Okay. And I guess Riley's CPU. I don't, I don't know. Um, it, Joy manages to eject all the memories or something, or they fell out. Oh, that's right. Sadness. Sadness was trying to rearrange them. 
right? Yep. They get, that's what's going on. Yes. And Joy freaks out. And somehow they, end, they, they all go over the place, and the two of them end up getting sucked up the tube that normally sends all the memories to long-term memory. Yep. And I should mention the, uh, the core memory, the sad core memory that she uh, forms is because in her class, the teacher asks her to tell a little bit about herself. And she's talking about her time back in Minnesota, and she kind of has this emotional breakdown in front of the entire class, which obviously for any kid, that's a very traumatizing thing. It's something that's going to like stick with you. Yep. yep. Absolutely. We should point out that her moving truck hasn't come. Yep. Um, which is also probably stressful on her. So she has no clothes, no, no change of clothes, no, no furniture, nothing. So she goes to school pretty upset. And not general. just that she had to eat broccoli on pizza. Yeah. Congratulations, San Francisco! You've ruined pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, this is, and then the takeout box from the pizza from the one of the places is um from Bugs Life. Oh, it's from yeah. the Chinese food restaurant. Yeah, is yep. and that's actually not. It's not so much that it's from Bugs Life. It's that again. It's that part of that reuse that we talk about that Pixar does is it's a model that was originally created for Bugs Life that was used in a couple of other movies, and it's been refined slightly over time. Like, it's also the takeout box in Monsters Incorporated. Oh, that's great. Okay. So they, and they keep reusing it. And you can tell it literally has the same bend in the top of the cover and everything like that if you look at pictures of it. Um, I figured we, we can go through references as you bring them up, but I also have a nice list of references that we can also discuss li- at, once we get through the plot to have a, to have a little fun as we go. So sadness and joy, as we said, are on their way to long-term memory. This leaves in charge of the head anger, fear, and disgust. Not the greatest thing, but when you think about it in terms of what Rachel just said with this being an emotional traumatic breakdown is these are kind of sort of the emotions that do take over. Yeah, absolutely. At that point is because you start to have fear, uncertainty, doubt, and those are, those are the things that come from anger and disgust. And so it's just – it's so fitting the way they did it. I thought it was, it was very clever and it's subtle, right? Like you don't need to know it to enjoy the movie. But when you look at it that way, you're like, yeah, you're right. So um, I thought it was interesting. So what happens is that in her absence, they go through a series of events where they kind of try and be joy and sadness, right? That's their, that's their, or try and be joy at least and, yes. ru- and run the show. Yeah. But the truth is, is that none of them are happy. None of them are joyous, right? That's part of what joy is. Joy is because joy is really the most esoteric of the senses, because the least defined, as Rachel said earlier. So what happens is they mess it up, and the personality islands start to crumble. Yep. One, one, and one by one, they fall into the memory dump. Now, this is actually really important to the movie, because what's going on here is when, when a... Um, island that exists starts to fall into the memory dump this is not just her having this emotional breakdown it's her childhood slipping away from her right these are the, these are the events that and the islands that were became her core that were created from her childhood so if she's growing up this is again going back to her signaling that they're being that they're being destroyed but the main reason for having them islands because they were not originally going to be islands in the movie was so that you would see them and become emotionally invested in the islands themselves because they were cool, right? Yeah. So that when they're crumbling and falling apart, it feels like she herself is falling apart. Also, um, 
it's a method of travel um, for for the joy and sadness because joy tries is trying to get there the fastest way she can. Right, they think they and, can get yeah. back because she it, thinks she can get back by going across to the islands. Right. So what it is is each of the core memories makes a tether off of headquarters that connects to the the island. Okay, so Joy's plan for getting back from long-term memory is to cross through one of the islands and then cross the tether all the way back to headquarters, which in my opinion is not a very good idea. No. Okay, because that's a lot of tightrope walking that nobody wants to do, not even tightrope walkers. So while anger, fear, and disgust are busy messing things up, we have sadness and joy who crash land in the middle of long-term memory, which is where all the memories go, the things that you don't need to necessarily know, like you don't need to know 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? I mean, well, you do need to know two plus two equals four, but you don't need to necessarily know like what the color of your pants was on Tuesday in the year nineteen ninety two. I think they were the, the determining presidents. Right, all right, they, and they make that's actually very good. So they make this point is that they have these little memory gobules. I don't know what they are really, memory goblins, something like that. And it's not clear what they are in the movie. They don't really give them a name, but their job is apparently to go through long term memory and remove old memories. Paula Poundstone is one of the comedians, my favorite, uh, one of the voices for one of those people that wants to dump the, you know, those memories. Yes. And, yeah. and they're, it's funny. They're making fun of them, but they're like, they're like, old oh, phone numbers don't need those. Uh, throw them out. Throw them out. Get rid of them. Uh, we don't, presidents? Who needs the presidents? Keep the, keep the short, bald one with the glasses and the tall one with the hat. Get rid of the yep. rest. <laughs> And, it's just, and those are the ones that we pretty much all just remember. Right, and that's why it was funny because they really, they really thought about jokes like that. So, I, and I love when, um, when that happens. And while they're wandering through long-term memory, um, we quickly learn that Sadness has, as Cheryl said, read all the manuals. So actually knows the way out of long-term memory, despite that it looks like an endless maze of crazy. Okay, I don't know how else to describe that. We learned two things. First of all, Sadness is still able to turn any memory sad just by dragging her hand along it, right? So they can always find their way back because she's got this big long line of blue on the bottom row of all the memories. Yep. Okay, which was very clever. And the other thing is as they turn a corner, Joy sees something and chases after it and eventually corners what ends up being, as we discussed earlier, Bing Bong. Well, before we get to Bing Bong, we, should, we need to get to um, Triple Dent Gum. Oh, Triple Dent Gum. Because she, they, when they heard, when they encountered the workers, they, Triple Dent Gum will make you smile. Triple Dent Gum. <laughs> That's great. Because um, they, when they encountered the workers, they mentioned that they send up that that memory to headquarters. <laughs> that, that, that's right. They keep it as their special memory that they constantly send up to headquarters as a joke. And what happens is then from that point on after they meet those two workers is that they keep sending it back up there and it keeps showing up and anger keeps getting more and more upset about the fact that not the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's very good. Though, John, you do a better anger than I do. So <laughs> A triple dent gum happens to me in the form of the magic garden. If you're over 35, you might remember the Magic Garden as a kid, and yeah. I have that. The garden makes it up every now and then. My... Right? Yep. That one? Which one? Here in the Garden of Make Bees. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Two girls swinging on a swing, swing singing a hippie song. Yep. Got it. I don't know why they send that up to me every now and then, but they do. 
<laughs> they do. It pops into my All head, too. All I can too. think of is the, does the old, Mac, old McDonald's one. Big Mac, flavor fish, corporate, and fridge rice, ice, coke, thick, thick, sundaes, and apple pies. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. Like, jingles stick with your favorite. Or, like, the Gilligan's Island song. Like, everybody really deep in their core knows the entire theme song of Gilligan's Island. Yep. Right? I mean, you just don't forget it. I don't know why. Something about three-hour tours. Joy and Sadness have just run into Bing Bong, and they kind of make buddies, and they kind of eat candies. They try the caramel, right? It's delicious. That, that, that line, that's like literally one of the best lines in the whole movie. Uh, and what happens is, is they find out that he actually can help them get back to headquarters because he, he's aware of Joy. He's like, the Joy, right? He knows exactly who she is because he's familiar with her. They were both part of, a big part of Riley's childhood, as we've mentioned. So they had spent time together conceptually, I guess, was my idea. They were old friends is the way to look at it. And he said, oh, yeah, what we can do is we can go catch the train of thought back to headquarters. Now, we learn in the movie that the train of thought constantly is bringing supplies to headquarters and then picking other things up and taking them back. I, it was hard to tell exactly what was going on there, okay? Though it does lead to, again, one of the best lines in the movie, but we'll get, we'll get to that best line later. Um, so the idea is for them to catch the train of thought. And he says, okay, we're going to try and do that. But, and it's, it's then that, you know, another personality island go, hits the, uh, into the memory dump. So we have Sadness, Joy, and Bing Bong, and they're wandering out of the, mem- out of the memory, the long-term memory area. And they come to this big wall of mechanical nature, right? And on it is a big door that says danger, right? And I love that because, because Bing Bong says, oh, no, it can't be dangerous. It says right there on the top, D-A-N-G-E-R, shortcut. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what it is is uh, Sadness recognizes it because, again, she read the book, and it's, she said, that's, ab- that's abstract thought. We can't go in there. That's dangerous, right? And, and then that's... And so she doesn't want to go in, but Bing Bong's like, like, look, I'm in here, and I'm perfectly safe, and I'm getting closer to the train station. So Joy follows him in, and then Sadness eventually follows him in, right? And what happens is, is then those two guys that they met in long-term memory that were cleaning them up, they come up to the door, and they close the door, and they turn the machine on to clean it out. And they go through this series of events where they go through, like, a cubist phase, and then a two-dimensional, and then a, a flat phase, and then a two-dimensional phase. And it's not then until then until they escape, but they really basically will. If, if they had remained any longer inside the abstract thought area, is the three of them would have been destroyed. Was the concept of going? But they get out, and they get to the train station, but not enough time to catch it here. Okay, they they get in, they arrive just in time to see the train of thought taking off to the next station. So they ask Bing Bong, and Bing Bong's like, "Do you know the way?" To the, they're like, "Do you know the way to the next station?" Bing Bong's like, "Oh yeah, we just have to go through there." And they're like, "Is this another one of your shortcuts?" And he's like. Yeah! <laughs> and they all run off. <laughs> and uh, where they go through is they go through Imagination Land, okay, which is actually one very clever, right? So, so far we've gotten all these things that you're familiar with these concepts in terms of the mind, right? We have a memory dump, which is where memories go to die. We have long-term memory. We have core memories, uh, core events, you know, the emotions themselves, uh, imaginary friends, abstract thought, and now we're in the land of imagination where we go through all these things. And like, I, like I said earlier, there's a lot of uh, things going on. Like, for example, there's board games in the background, one of which references Finding Nemo and another one of which references The Good Dinosaur. And don't forget, we, get, we, met, we, we meet the cloud guy. That's right. We go to Cloud Town, and what's great is, is this leads to a great movie reference later on in the movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> when they come back to Cloud Town. But uh, basically, Bing Bong accidentally blows away one of the residents of Cloud Town, which is a cloud inside Riley's head. And so he blows him away, and so and the wife goes, hey, and they all run off really quickly. And we go through, and like I said earlier, we see certain things going on in Imagination Land. There's a lot of construction going on. Again, this is representing the fact that Riley is, mature, is starting to mature. So her, her love of gingerbread houses is over, I guess, so they destroy it, and it's being swept away. And her princess castle gets hit with a big thing and turns into a pile of confetti, which was genius, by the way. <laughs> I, it's just because it's unexpected. Like, you see the big ball hit it, and you expect it to tumble down, but it just poofs away. Uh, we see the boyfriend machine getting built. But the important thing that they find here is um, discarded and hidden on the side is this spaceship that belongs to Bing Bong. Yep. That we learn from, again, in these flashbacks, that, like as Rachel said very early on, are very emotional as these, these uh, flashbacks about Riley's childhood, is we learn about how Bing Bong and her used to play and be great imaginary friends together, and we see some of their adventures. And one of them is that they, they use this, spaceship which is really just a red cart with rainbows as wings yeah right and i don't know how else you describe it and um they sing to power it because it's powered by song and they imagine these adventures all over the galaxy together that's part of what goes on so he goes oh look it's my old rocket ship i really wanted to ride one last time with with riley and that's why i saved this here because i figured that this would be my last chance to spend spend time with her so he kind of they show he shows it, but then it kind of gets discarded because um, it it falls to the side as he's showing them around Imagination Land. And then what happens is as they're brushing as they're bulldozing away the remnants of the gingerbread house and they're pushing it off into the memory dump, his cart gets the rocket ship gets picked up and it also ends up in the memory dump. And he falls into this he starts to cry because he can't save it in time. And sad, this is that point where we said that sadness sits down with him because she has nothing else to offer him other than the comfort of sadness. Yeah. Okay. And it's very and and just her sitting with him, listening to him, talking with him is enough to bring him around and out of his funk to the point where he says, "I'm ready to go now. Let's let's get this job done." Yeah, I know we haven't had a chance to really talk much about Phyllis Smith's performance in this movie as Sadness, but she's she's so good. <laughs> um, I don't know if you heard what it was, what uh, performance of hers um, caused them to cast her. I did not. Um, She is in the movie Bad Teacher, and there is a scene with her and Cameron Diaz where they're having lunch together, and she is such the sad sack, like, (laughs) that's the best way you can put it in the scene, and uh, apparently they saw it and just went, "That's, that's who we need. That is our sadness. Which and also I was very familiar with Phyllis Smith uh, from uh, The Office because The Office is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yep. Absolutely love it. Oh, all right, cool, cool, cool. I'm not actually familiar with the actress who played Disgust. I know her name is Mindy Kaling, but yep. I don't think I've seen anything that she's in. Wreck It Ralph. Yep. Oh, is she in Wreck It Ralph? Okay. She's yeah. Taffeta. Oh, she's and Taffeta. She, okay. And she was also on The Office with Phyllis Smith. Like, that's the fun thing is there's a lot of um, NBC comedy reunions going on in this movie because you have Amy Poehler and then you have Rashida Jones in a minor character towards the end and then uh, who were both in Parks and Rec together. And then you have Phyllis Smith and Mindy Colling who were on The Office together. Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. 
So that's that's interesting. I by the way, one other thing in Imagination Land before we continue is I don't know if anybody caught this in the background, but there's a card, there's a giant card house, right? In the yeah. background. Mm-hmm. If you look on it, it's all comprised of, of three cards basically, right? There's there's queens that are pictures of her mom, there's kings that are pictures of her dad, and then instead of Jacks, there's R's that are pictures of Riley. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so I, I thought that's that's a very very clever thing. So when they're done in Imagination Land, the next what what's going on is they realize there's this concept going that when Riley goes to sleep, everything in her brain shuts in her mind shuts down because she's got a dream. Okay, so when this happens, we get to see this moment where Fear is still in headquarters and he's on dream detail. Okay, so he's watching he's watching dream production, and Sadness says what. Well, comes up with this plan where what they have to do is they have to wake Riley up because otherwise they won't be able to catch the train of thought and get back to headquarters. Okay. Yeah. That, that's basically what goes on. So they decide to go to Dreamland Productions, right? I think is what the name of it is. Yeah. And it, 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 Dreamland Productions is very clever because instead of being the Disney studio lot, it's actually the Warner Brothers studio lot. And if you look at Imagination Land, the entrance into it, that's actually the Paramount Studios lot. Oh, gosh. Okay. So there's some very clever things like that in the movie. But they go into Dream Productions, and I don't really know how to describe Dream Productions other than to say that the best thing in it is is apply the reality distortion filter. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Which, Which is this joke about movies is, you know, movies are telling you this story, and unless they're based on a real-life event, and even sometimes when they are based on a real-life event, everything gets distorted anyway, and you just have to come to this concept of accepting the reality of what's presented to you on, this, on the screen rather than start to question it and wonder why volcanoes face each other, John. What we get at, besides the reality distortion filter is that Riley has, is having these dreams. So the first one is that they decide to stage this dream of her bad day in class, okay, because they go over what happened today. So they, they act out her bad day in class, but they also combine it with some things like, I've, I've gone to school with no pants on, and it, all sorts of things like that. I didn't, I didn't wash today. You know, my hair is all messed up. The, all those things they kind of go through. But then what happens is that Joy gets the idea is that she wants to wake Riley up with happy thoughts. I don't know why this is a great idea, okay? So they dress up Sadness and herself as... A do- as two halves of a dog, and they go out on the stage. But what happens is they start to argue inside the costume, and Joy wants to do one thing, and Sadness is like, this isn't working, it's not going to happen. And meanwhile, they've left the core memories. Oh, we never even mentioned the core memories. We should probably really mention really quick that the core memories also got sucked up with Joy and Sadness when they went to long-term memory, and Joy has been carrying them around the whole time. Because she the has bag. to get in Bing Bong's bag because she has to get them back to headquarters to repair Riley. Okay, and she gives them to Bing Bong to hold on to while her and Sadness are doing this thing. So Sadness and Joy are not really getting along because they never really get along up through this point in the movie. And what happens is the dog splits in half and Fear is watching and he freaks out because the reality distortion filter makes it look like two halves of a zombie dog are now running (laughs) around chasing each other. Okay, and the t- and he freaks out, and he has and and basically this almost starts to wake Riley up, but then they shut down the the dream production and stick. <laughs> I forget what the pony's name was, but basically it's it's like the My Little Pony ver- ver- in Riley's world, 
right? I, I don't know how else to say that, right? It, I don't know what they call their princess power pony or something like that. I can't, I can't even remember what it was called. Um, and they just basically have her put on like a cabana number. Like I didn't know what else to think about it, but I thought of the lady with the banana hat dancing around. That's what was going on at that point in the, in the dream reminded me of, right? And so they do that and they realize that, oh, fear actually is what's going to wake Riley up, not um, not joy and joy. So she's like, okay, well, what can we do? And then they realize that the police come in who have broken it up and they cart Bing Bong off and they follow Bing Bong because they have to get him because he has the core memories. And what happens is they, they end up following him all the way to subconscious, which is this big giant door where everything in your subconscious gets locked behind. This is where we again – like I said, the waiting for Godot moment that we talked about that we don't have to go over again. But basically there's two guards. And I love how joy and sadness sneak in is that they pretend to close the door so that they think – so that the two cops think they just came out and they throw them in. I, I thought that was actually genius. <laughs> like it wasn't until the second time through that I watched the movie that I actually got that's what had happened. Like I'm like, why did they just let them in? But anyway, so they got her wandering through the – through the subconscious and you see like dental inst- a, a forest of dental inst- instruments and you see grandma's vacuum cleaner which is a great thing to be afraid of by the way a giant grandma's vacuum cleaner um and eventually what they do is they find this clown okay that i believe is based on bangles the clown who's one of the guys that works at pixar actually dresses up as this clown at some of their parties did I, you know about this i, I think no. this is based on joe ramp Actually, is it? I I, yeah. I do know that there's there's a guy who works for Pixar. No, who... the one who passed away. This is about the one who passed away. Oh, okay, that's okay. Um, I believe he at at some point had a cartoon or a short by a clown. Oh, maybe. I I thought it I thought it was about um, but it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. The the point is is that the clown is this giant clown that is scary just lying down on the ground. By the way. Okay, like I'm not even afraid of clowns, and I thought this was one scary clown. Okay, and if folks, if you're afraid of clowns, it's a giant clown in the movie. Just be aware of that, okay? I think it's important to note that. Okay, well, he's lying on the ground snoring, and on his belly, trapped in a, in a cage made of balloons, which is very clever, is Bing Bong with the core memories. Okay, so Joy climbs up on top of him, rescues him, which is great how the, how the balloons are like making these awful stretching noises that don't wake up the... <laughs> The thing, and they all start to leave when they realize, well, they still have to wake Riley up or else they cannot achieve their goal. And they have to get to the point of waking Riley up, right, because it's been too long and all the, and the islands are all going to fail. And if Family Island goes, everything goes, right? That's kind of sort of what, they're, what they've realized. And suddenly Sadness and Joy look at each other and they get the idea that what they need to do is get, wake up the clown because it's probably the scariest thing in Riley's subconscious and, and show that to Riley as her dream and that will get her to wake up. And so they go and get the giant clown and chase them, okay, telling him that there's a birthday party that he has to get to. And he follows them, which is actually like, <laughs> how else do you get the evil giant clown to, to chase you? Tell him there's a birthday party. I love that idea. And they chase, take him all the way back to the Dream Studios. Riley sees it, and Riley w- wakes up. Okay. Unfortunately, that this wakes her up, and that's great, because now they can go catch the train of thought, which they get on. Okay. And I, this is my, one of my, my absolute favorite line in the movie, is the line about facts and opinions, them getting all mixed up. Yep. Right? <laughs> so they get the other train, and they start riding the train. But what happens, okay is that 
Um, Riley is woken up and she's she's up she's mad like she's had enough of whatever's going wrong and she gets it in her head because fear anger, anger and disgust are in charge and he puts an idea in her head which is a, a bubble that he screws into the con a light bulb that he screws into the console and this idea is for her to get kind of take a bus and get back to Minnesota because in Minnesota everything was good okay. Yep. Which is the worst idea because going to Minnesota will destroy her completely, and she won't have she won't be the same, the kid that she was when she left Minnesota. So obviously she won't be happy when she gets there. But that never actually happened, folks. We'll get to that. So this is going on, and the fourth to last island, the last one before Family Island, crumbles. Right. This, unfortunately, well, sadness, um, joy, and Bing Bong are all riding on the train of thought. This. Uh, wrecks the car, the track that the train of thought is on, and the train crashes to the ground, and they have no way back. Right? Yep. Yes. I got, I got that part right. Okay. I was trying to remember exactly what happened there, and it was a little rough. So, their crash landed, and from here, I think things really happen very fast. Right? Like, sadness is, sadness is done. She wanders off. She's, like, had enough. Uh, Bing Bong and Joy actually fall off the cliff and end up in the memory dump. Yep. Okay. The memory dump is like deep depression. Right. Well, it's, it's, where, it's where memories go to die, right? It's, it's the last place Bing Maul wants to be because he's a memory. Yes. Okay. He's an imaginary friend, which means he's a memory by definition. Um, and what happens is, is this is where Joy kind of has her moment of epiphany, right? Because that, that's really the point of the movie is Joy – in order for Riley to grow up, Joy has to grow up. She has to realize that there's more to life than happiness. Right. Right. That, that's the fundamental. So in, in having her epiphany, she herself has a breakdown, right? And she realizes that sadness is right. And how she realizes is that she pulls up the core memories and she realizes that maybe she really didn't understand how memories worked in general because she knew she could fast forward and reverse them. But she, she keeps going further back in this one memory than she ever has before. And it goes from – she makes it go from yellow to blue. And she realizes that there's a connection between herself and sadness that she didn't know existed before. Which is yeah. family. Sadness brought joy. Right. Is, is that, again, back to that original psychological notion is that sadness is the basis for relationships. And relationships are what drive us. Yeah. Because okay. the, mem the memory is – the original happy memory, the joyful memory, is her and her parents ice skating together. But if you rewind just a little back, bit further back, you find out that she was down in the dumps because uh, her hockey team had lost their game. And so her parents then went out skating with her in order to cheer her up. Well, the whole team comes up. Yep. Yeah. At the, at the tree. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So, so in order to create the core memory, it wasn't – even though it was a joyous memory, it took sadness to help create the memory. Okay, and that's that's the important thing. And when Joy realizes that, like I said, things go very quickly from here because all of a sudden Joy and Bing Bong starts to talk and Bing Bong's like, there's no way we're getting out of here. And Joy sees something glimmer on the horizon and she realizes what it is. It's the spaceship that has fallen into the memory dump also. So her and she looks at Bing Bong, they both run and they get it. 
and they what did they try like eight times to fly to the top oh, yeah. out of the memory yeah. dump using it and they and they do it and it's song powered and the song powered thing works because we're in the head it's not really you know out in the real world where that might not actually work uh, I don't know if somebody can get this to work I want to ride just saying so they do this and what happens is is Bing Bong realizes because he's already started to disappear just from being in the memory dump he's having that Marty McFly moment. Yeah. Okay. And and it's folks, it's sad. Be prepared for it if you haven't seen the movie. Rachel's about to cry. I can tell. Okay. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna mute myself on this end. Don't mind <laughs> that, me. That's that's fine. You're allowed. It is sad. I, I admit it. Uh and what happens is is that in order for Joy to be able to get out, because again, Bing Bong is the one who said, Oh, with Joy, we have to get you back to headquarters. You're not supposed to be out of headquarters, right? He says that very early on in the movie. He sacrifices himself so that the spaceship can reach the top and Joy can get out of the memory dump. And okay. what is it that says as she's going without him? Right. Send her to the moon for me or take her to the moon for me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, That's right. right when I cried. Right there. <laughs> he said that. It was literally – like it. it's not even – folks, it's not even a real death because it's an imaginary character. But it's so meaningful to the movie – Right. It, it, in the context of what the movie is, it means so much more. And because Bing Bong was part of the adventure and part of what you felt Riley is, you know, and it's funny, like I made this comment, like we've all had some kind of imaginary friend. Oddly, mine was an imaginary villain, but don't ask. Um, oh, we're going to talk about this later. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but beyond that, um, you know, and Joy gets out and she's sad, but she's prompt, you know, she's like, I, you know, I will. And then she sees sadness fly overhead and sadness is on a cloud, by the way, from Cloud Town. And she's crying. So it's raining along the ground. So Joy's able to follow the trail of rain and the trail of rain goes past um, the imaginary boyfriend machine. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and it's great because the conversation is Joy goes. Do, did you, do you mean what you said earlier? And he goes, I would die for Riley. He goes, great. And she sticks him in the magical bag. And it's 10,000. And, and then she turns up to 10,000. That's right. And she, yep. make, and she just captures a whole bunch of the boyfriends in the bag because the bag is magical. It's like a bag of holding if you ever played D&D. &D, you can just stuff as much stuff inside of it as you want. <laughs> okay. I don't know how else you describe what it is, right? That's, that's the Still only base. It's the only basis I have for that. Bottomless Mary bag, Poppins yeah. purse. Mary Poppins purse, right? Although we're not sure if that's bottomless, but it certainly has a lot of stuff in it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and what what happens here is that she takes the bag, she fills it up with boyfriends, and then she chases after sadness. So as I said, was floating away in a cloud, and she uses something I forget what it is to change the course of the way uh, sadness is blowing that so that she goes back through Cloud Town. And what's hysterical is this is when we get this really great reference to the movie Chinatown. Right, yep. is because the two cops are sitting there and they're talking to the lady whose hus whose husband Cloud was dispersed earlier, and she and Joy runs right through her and she poops away also. And the one cop looks, at the one Cloud cop looks at the other Cloud cop, and he goes, "Forget about it, it's Cloud Town," which is a line from Chinatown, <laughs> but it's Chinatown. I totally did not know that because I hadn't seen Chinatown or at least remember it. So what happens is at this point now, sadness has been redirected, floating towards headquarters. Okay, which is where where joy and and sadness need to get to, and I don't know how Joy conceived of this plan, but what she did is she uses the boyfriends as a giant ladder, and, yep. and with her on the top of them, and because on uh, is it Goofball Island? 
it's Goofball Island, right? There's a trampoline. Yeah, because the Goofball Island is on the trampoline. And um, oh no, Family Island has the trampoline on it. That's right, because Family Island is yep. the only island left at this point in the movie. And there's a big giant trampoline. Her plan is to have the boyfriends fall all the way over so that she lands at super high speeds on the trampoline and then bounces up. Okay. And it works. And it works. And she grabs yep. Sadness and they both end up smacking Deb, Deb right into the side of headquarters. At this point, another very funny moment in the movie is that there they are stuck on the outside of headquarters, which no way to get back inside because they'd never been out of headquarters before in the way they came it's out. A with a glass window. Right. Right, so they're stuck outside the glass window, and what happens is, is Disgust gets this great idea, and she makes ang- Anger very mad. And as we learned earlier in the movie, when Anger gets mad, fire comes out of his head. So she basically <laughs> gets him so mad that the fire goes crazy out of his head, more than we've ever seen it go in the movie. But she she's just, safe but, enough to wear the blowtorch mask. That's right, but she, that's right, yeah. so she, puts on, she puts on big blowtorch gloves and, big, and a big blowtorch mask, and she picks them up, and she melts the glass, and then they pull them inside. Okay. At which point, they have a quick reunion, but Joy's like, we got to act quickly, okay? And she tries to pull, because at this point, Riley is on a bus trying to go back to Minnesota, okay? Anger, anger, fear, and disgust have not been able to pull. They wanted to abort, but they couldn't pull the idea out of the memory bank, and the memory bank basically turned to stone, right? I mean, that's yep. how I interpreted that, which meaning that oh, she grew cold. One of the stuff. islands is honesty and, and, and they lose that when she steals the credit card. That's right. Honesty oh, yes. is the one I can remember. Okay, I, I could yep. not remember what the other island was because uh, it's only, it's like it's literally only mentioned, like uh, the other islands there's a lot more focus on. Honesty Island is like quick mentions. Yeah. Yep. Um, but right, as, I, as Riley starts to degrade these, you know, each of the islands goes, as we said. So Family Island is still there. It's about to go, though, because it started to rumble, okay? And they have to insert the core memories really quickly. Now, Joy tries to get – but they cannot insert the core memories back into the system until they fix the console. In order to fix the console, they have to get the idea out, okay? Joy tries but can't get it out, and she realizes what has to happen, and she, tell, she tells Sadness she has to pull it out. And Sadness goes up, and Sadness is able to just go up. Twist. Well, they're all fighting. Well, for, they're all the three of them who were back at Hogwarts who hadn't been through our story. Don't forget. You know, Harry doubting joy at this part. They're like, "Are you sure this thing's gonna work?" Yeah, that's that's right. They don't they don't know about the adventure and what has gone on yet. Okay, and but Joy's in charge, so they're just going with the Joy is in charge thing at this point. And she puts, she basically lets Sadness do her thing, and Sadness is able to pull out, and then they all realize, okay, something's happening here. We don't know what it is, but we're going with it. And what happens is, is instead of Joy inserting the core memories back into the system, she gives them the Sadness to insert back into the system. And at that point, Riley goes comes back online, basically. I don't know another way to say it, because <laughs> she basically shut down on the bus. And she says, I want to get off the bus, and she heads home. And she, at home, she has this reunion with her parents, and they all, they talk, and she goes, look, I, we came here, and I'm upset, and I don't want to be happy anymore because I'm not happy here, okay? I don't know how to be happy about this. Nothing has gone right at the moment, and, and I'm really sad. And she misses Minnesota. And, right, yeah. she misses Minnesota. And then they go, we miss Minnesota, too. And everybody realizes that everybody should have been talking because that's what families should do. Well, the really important revelation here, too, is early on in the movie, the mother says to her, you know, this this has been really tough on your father. You know, we have to all put on our, we have to put on our spine, spine link faces for him. 
and the fact that she tells them in that moment, I can't do that. I am hurting. <laughs> you, you, you are expecting something from me that I can't do. And then right. saying, that's okay. That is all right. You don't have to be happy for on our behalf. You don't have to cover it up. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, basically from there, you know, everything gets better. The world is better. And we learn that the... I, once the core memories were come back in, the original islands all come back. And when when Riley and her family are having that moment, a new core memory is made. Okay, that is not a single solid color. It is actually both because both sadness and joy were touching the console when the memory was made. The memory has two colors. It's both blue and yellow, and it gets inserted in as a new core memory. And then at the end of the movie, it's I guess it's you know several weeks later or months later or who knows what, but it's some period of time later, and we learn that the original core memories brought back on their islands that had been destroyed. Okay, plus there are now like eleven islands instead of the five islands. Like there's yep. there's boyfriend land, right? And there's boy band land, and and some other thing, some other funny yep. references in there. And the and, control panel itself is bigger too. That's right. Well, that's why yep. I said earlier is. Mm-hmm. is uh, yep. John, Fritz and his team, John Ratzberger, come in and they install a new console, which has a new button on it that's labeled anybody. Puberty. Sequel. Puberty. Not. They don't even say sequel. puberty. They Cheryl. say puberty. <laughs> yes, it's labeled sequel. Very good, Cheryl. That is that is correct. Uh, and that's basically it. Everything's good. Uh, she kind of starts to get a, of the memor- most of the memories now are multicolored. That's right. That's the other thing. It's the core memories. The original core memories are there. But also now there's all these different multicolored memories. Some of them even have three colors in them, and each one represents a new land because Riley is growing up and she is finding out who she is, not just a child. And please tell me you stayed for the credits in this film. Absolutely. Yes. We, and yes. we can, the, the credits are hysterical. Now, I know John particularly liked one of them, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, no, I know on, exactly. So did you. That one I, was I, did, I did too. But the, the idea is that so, – so we've, we've seen inside Riley's head. We've seen inside mom's head and we've seen inside dad's head. And then what happens is it starts to go through the heads of characters in the, in the movie. It starts with the bus driver on the bus, okay? And then it goes to the, um, the, boy, the boy who likes Riley, right? And where, where I love that one because all, they're all running, all they're running around. They're going, girl, girl, girl. <laughs> yeah, and there's alarms going on. At the hockey game. That's right, at the hockey game. Um, and um, I'm trying to think. Oh, there's the cats, which is the one that I think John yes. liked particularly, where, where cats, so don't, cats don't run the consoles. And they had nothing, the... no organization. That's right, no organization. <laughs> and, and it shows the cat just runs across and starts playing with the buttons, and the cat just kind of freaks out and does backflips, <laughs> which is actually really sure. And the dog's going, is that food? Is that food? Is that food? Get the food. Get the fan. <laughs> Get the food. <laughs> so it, it's very clever. Apparently there was also supposed to be a goldfish that they that they animated, but I don't know why it wasn't in the credits. So maybe another feature. Yeah, and so it the movie is it's very clever. It's very well done. Um, I did we miss any of the plot at all? Um, we missed. Well, we just missed a little bit more at the end where mom, where dad and mom have a little segment of themselves, where because um, their relationship gets a little bit stronger because he painted the face for the game. That's right, and she ditches yep. the Brazilian guy memory. Oh no, they they, they still save it. <laughs> Oh, they still save it. That's right. The, just in the case fear, for later. The fear saves it just yep. in case for later. But then we learn that the teacher also knows the Brazilian guy. 
Yes. Riley's teacher. That's that's right. I, I remember that all. I remember that part. But really, I mean, that's basically the gist of the movie. Is, is it? It's really just an adventure into how we think, what it is about growing up. You know, all these have. It's 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 very strong. It is very emotional. Okay. Oh yes. I, as Cheryl said, it is a save the farm movie. Just in this case, the farm is Riley. Okay, but it is it, the plot that that type of thing does uh, fit. When I saw the movie, the end credit sequence was such a release for everyone because everyone had spent the whole last part of the movie crying, <laughs> um, which I could tell because I could hear very loud sniffles and people pulling out Kleenex from their purses and stuff. Um, <laughs> but the end credit sequence is so great and I think even a better payoff because of the fact that it's so sad before that. And it's so, so very, very funny. I, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely it was a, agree. It was a relief, yeah. I, I think I think that's part of why they did it is just to end on a light note. <laughs> just some quick references. There are many references in this movie. Play by the way, folks. If you're looking for the uh, Luxo ball from Pixar, you can find it in the flashback to when Riley is playing tag with Bing Bong. Okay, that's that's that one. The Pizza Planet truck, by the way, appears several times in the movie because it's in one of the pictures in the memory globes. As is the entire um, wedding sequence for Carl and Ellie from Up, by the way. Also, uh, a, a Toy Story connection is that both Toy Story and this movie have several references to the Tri-County area, which implies that they take place in the same township, which is interesting, I think, right? Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Colette from Ratatouille appears on a cover of a magazine which is on the coffee table in the apartment or on the floor in the apartment, on the kitchen table, one somewhere. In, During in, the uh, um, jumping for lava scene, I think it's the word is. Is it? Oh, so you think it's actually in the flashback, not in the... Yes. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe you're right. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember which... I remember seeing it on the floor, though. Uh, and uh, you actually see Remy because he's actually the rat that's lying on the floor in the apartment dead and then you see the dead yes. zombie rat in the flashback with the haunted mansion music playing yes what's <laughs> that yep and uh a last final pixar reference for for right now just because i'm sticking to just pixar references is at the very very beginning of the movie when they leave minnesota there's a there's a uh, phone wire and on the phone wire are the uh, birds from the for the bird short that came yep. out many years ago so and like i said there's other things uh riley's classroom is a113 reference just because just to cover all the key references that folks like but uh like i said it, it, there's really lots of stuff strewn throughout this movie and we so. have richard kind as bing bong we, we have richard kind as bing bong who richard kind has been in several uh pixar movies at this point so including both cars movies so yeah so that's i mean that's that's in a nutshell does anybody else have anything to add i had one quick quote i wanted to uh throw out there from a Actually, an excellent review for Inside Out that I, I think this is from film critic Hulk. He writes in the voice of Hulk um, and really very, very, very good uh, film analysis if you ever get a chance to read him. Um, but this is what he had to say about Inside Out. 
Analysis isn't what blocks our emotions. Analysis is what allows us to understand our emotions. And it's precisely this philosophy that got Hulk in a discussion with someone over whether or not reason should have been personified in the movie. Put simply, this is one of the biggest problems with how people think about both intelligence and emotion. They look at reason as some other abstract thing that can come in and give our emotions a good talking to in order to set them straight. But reason doesn't exist, at least not like that, because reason is nothing more than the level of coherence between our very real emotions. It's precisely why most people who hold up reason or logic as a paragon of human conditions tend to be the people who disgust is piloting their mental headquarters. Interesting. Though I think we got more geek Hulk than Gur Hulk. <laughs> oh yes. Yes, very much so. So, uh, but and no, we'll that's a great one. We'll links to Easter eggs and stuff in our show notes. I think Todd has plenty. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll point at some links for that stuff. Don't worry about that. No problem. Because I know people eat that up. Plus, those lists are going to be updated now, and they're going to be updated again when the Blu-ray comes out, because I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that people didn't see when they were in the theater that when you can go frame by frame, you can see so much more. Because so. I'm sure there's a whole lot more Pixar movies in those memory globes that we don't even know about. We'll start with our guest, as always. John, what did you uh, think about the Lava Short? This is a 1 through 10 rating? Uh, 1 through 5. 1 through 5. With 5 being best and 1 being worst. Uh, I'm going to give Lava a 4, and that's because of my second viewing. I liked it a lot better than the first viewing. All right. Well, that's good. Excellent. I just felt it was awkward. The first time I saw it, I felt awkward. I don't know why. I felt uncomfortable. I don't know why. I can't even explain it. I was mesmerized by it, but I I can understand that. So... All right. Um, I will definitely say for the movie itself, I'm giving it a five. I have to, just because of how smart it is. Uh, it may not be my my repeat viewing movie. Like I may not be able to watch it over and over and over. Like maybe a different type of Pixar movie, but it's really it, it holds its own as a, an incredible piece of film. I think. All right. Some some good ratings from John. Uh, Cheryl, let's go with you next. Lava's a five for me. I really enjoyed the short. I thought this was a really great short. I don't think how you could make it better. I mean, they had the fine music. They, the only thing they were missing is Chicken Chippendale Rescue Rangers, baby. I don't know. <laughs> and poi. So, okay, and what about Inside Out, the movie? I'm going to get that 3.9. I'm going a little bit low. I understand, folks, but yes, have to go from my concept of that's going by commercials. And I'm not talking the metro commercials that you see. You really don't see enough to tell you this is a Save the Farm movie. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Rachel. Okay, my rating for Lava, I'm going to give it three and a half stars. Uh, and my enjoyment of it mainly comes from the song. I do like the story, too, and I, I just love the whole look and feel of it. But the song is really what sells it for me. As far as Inside Out, this is a five-star movie for me. I absolutely love it. It actually is now my favorite of the Pixar movies. It is something that really connected with me very strongly. Um, Having moved several times as a child and having that feeling of having to start over, it's definitely... a something that I connected with very strongly and the performances are all just brilliant, just so smart and sensitive and thoughtful. Um, and the animation, the look of it is gorgeous. I, 
I cannot decide if I will be going as joy or sadness this year for New York Comic Con. Um, <laughs> but one of the two, probably. Why not you um, both? You could be the mixed memory. Oh, that would be wonderful. <gasps> yeah. So it's a five-star rating for me. So, and that leaves me. And I'm gonna, uh, for me, for Lava, I, I'm going to go with what John said. I, I feel that Lava is a solid four to me. It's just... It's not Pixar's best short. You know, for me, like I said before, watching shorts from Pixar goes all the way back to, you know, the, you know my, co- my senior year in college. So it's been a long time of watching Pixar stuff. Uh, they're just better Pixar things. But the song is like such a huge win. Like it, it just so magically ties the short together. So I feel like it's a four to me. And for Inside Out the movie, I don't quite love it as much as John and... Rachel do I'm kind of where my wife is is I am at a four not you know I, I feel it's I can get the extra tenth of a point that Cheryl would give it so uh, it's just I it's not like I said earlier to me I'm in that crowd where yeah it's a great movie but it's when I look at it in the context of Pixar movies it's somewhere in the middle for me so and that makes it a four well, folks, that wraps it up for our Inside Out episode with a little bit of lava in there. Uh, we've had a really great time talking with you. Uh, if you'd like to find us online, you can find us at DizFilmProject.com or DisneyFilmProject.com. They'll both go to the same place. You can also find us as Disney Film Project on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at DizFilmProject, or you can just email us, DizFilmProject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great night or day or breakfast. I'm positive you'll get lost in there. Maybe it was a bear. There are no bears in San Francisco. I saw a really hairy guy. He looked like a bear. All right. We did not die today. I call that an unqualified success. (laughs) Try the caramel. It's delicious.